Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. Uh, this episode has a special guest. His name is Johnny Jensen. He's part of Tenacious Hunter. He likes to film his hunts, and that's what kind of we're talk about. And some of his successes this year and, and the, the, for the, the, the reward versus how much energy you put into it. Because he was able to get a few hunts in throughout the year, and he managed to capitalize on a beautiful 12-pointer which he's going to break down for you. He's got a fantastic video, which I'll put that link in the video in the bio. So Johnny, tell us a little about yourself, man. Tell us about the legend of Johnny Jensen. I wouldn't call me a legend, but it's, it all started when I was a young kid. My dad, I remember wearing these old cheap rubber boots. He took me out duck hunting okay, and falling into the beaver dam. I learned right away when you're on water. You have to stay out of it, <laughs> especially the fall. Uh-huh. But it, anybody else that knows me, like go scouting with Corey and stuff, I still fall in the cricks. He's that video of me falling in the cricks or out scouting. It, uh-huh. it all happens. If there's water, I'm getting wet. Okay. But yeah, my dad got me into hunting at a young age. And he used to be a really big bow hunter until he started his own business. And mm-hmm. then it just basically. That ate up his whole time, but he got me into doing deer drives with our family and his family friends. It was kind of their uh, group, you'd want to call it. It was three families that got together the whole nine days of rifle season. Mm-hmm. And they'd, do drive, they'd sit opening day, and then they did drives eight out of the nine days of the rest of the rifle season. Mm-hmm. Well, and I started getting old enough to start walking around in the woods more, and he'd take me, and he goes, eight or nine he'd start taking me and me being a little kid i hated walking in the woods so i just would sit with everybody on stand mm-hmm. and it, it didn't matter i'd be busting twigs doing everything you're not supposed to and everybody would shoot deer so they're always wanting me to sit by them and that's <laughs> kind of, that kind of got me really intrigued on making noise and goofing off a lot and that's pretty much my life was just goofing off having fun and chasing whitetails now but then as I got older, like 13, 14, I wanted to start bow hunting. Mm-hmm. So I started bow hunting across the road from my dad's house. In a, our neighbors had three acres. And it, that sucked. I didn't see deer. You live next to Highway 45 growing up, and the deer won't want to come out of that three little acres. But I, I toughed it out, set all late season. That I think I finally shot my first deer or first uh, old deer was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And I still got that was just a little basket six pointer. Boy, I was tickled pink. Yeah. I'm walking in the debate at that time back home. And it was a blast. I, I'll still never forget that, but I don't know. I'm going to be all over the place. <laughs> That's all right. Oh, well. Back to rifle hunting, I was 12 years old and sitting in the stand. I think at 12 years old, you've got to be within yelling distance of your parents while you're out there hunting. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, it was about nine o'clock. And the only reason I remember it was nine o'clock is because for like there's a stretch of like 10 years where I'd only see deer from between nine and 10. Nine, 9 in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. It was just okay. some reason there. That was like my honey hole or honey time. Well, a doe ended up come walking around. And here I forgot to close the action on the rifle. And I went to shoot her. I went click. And I was like, ah, oh, she quick spun around. Now she's facing me. And I'm doing the old buck fever shaking. And I went to eject the shell and slam it back shut. Got that, and I was shaking so bad, I shot, and then she took off, and then I started getting tears in my eyes because I didn't know what happened. Uh-huh. 
Well, she runs away. I'm hollering her, Dad, Dad, I shot a deer. He finally gets down out of the tree, comes over. He's like, yeah, I heard you. I was just making sure nothing else was coming around. Well, we get out there and walk. And here, I'm, when I shot, I must have skinned all the way down the side of her because there was hair everywhere, no blood, nothing. Okay. So that was a big joke. Everybody called me Skinner. <laughs> well, everybody kept giving me crap, and I, I made it a point to start practicing shooting my rifles, my bows, and just try to get more repetitions. Mm-hmm. I, got, I hated getting made fun of all the time. But I yeah. did that. Well, then the next year, it was kind of the same ordeal. Ended up shooting a spike sitting out of the tree. And then come walking in, it was kind of a quarter and two shot. And I shot, deer went running. I went and met my dad out by the head of the trail. And he had, he had my little brother, Alex, at the time with him. Mm-hmm. So we started walking around and he looked at where I shot. He's like, there's hair everywhere again. I'm like, dad, I know I shot him. I hit him. I had to. There's no way. I was calm, cool, and I was ready to go. Well, he starts kind of following the track. Well, he, you missed it again. Whatever, Skinner. And all of a sudden, Alex went right through the tag holders. Got down on his hands and knees, and Dad, there's blood here. There isn't blood. I locked, looked all over here. Only went like 40 yards, and it piled up right there. But if I wouldn't have had my little brother with me, I don't think I would ever fall my first year. Nice. Save your, your savior. But I take a Skinner still stuck? Or still yep. sticks? Yeah, it still sticks. So then it, now as I'm getting a little bit older, then Wisconsin passed that uh, no baiting law. It was summers around 13, 14, but then certain counties you could bait in that. But my little brother Alex was old enough to start hunting. And mm-hmm. me and him, it was fun. It was kind of when all the digital stuff started coming out and we had tons of public land by us. And we were just kind of picking spots on the map. And them couple of years where you couldn't bait, we seen so many deer. Just they're all those and fawns. We couldn't find any bucks, but we weren't really pursuing bucks. We we're just kind of going out there and enjoying it. We'd be hundred yards apart and see different deer come walking out of the swamps and stuff. That was that was what really got me started. Was just learning how to hop around and start to pinpoint stuff where deer started piling out of the woods and yeah. how they use swamps and bedding around and that was probably yeah that's what really probably got me started going on hopping around on public land the way I do now that's nice that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome man it's like I've been uh didn't really get back into hunt until 2015 and then it's like I just been going over going pretty hard ever since and uh you know like growing up, it's like my dad really wasn't much of a hunter, but I was able to get out there and do some small game hunting with some of his good friends. So that was my way of keeping the hunting roots alive. And then I just got around my best friend from high school and got me reinvigorated with it too. It's like my gun, my uh, uncle had an, a 12 gauge shotgun. So I borrowed it from him and he gave it to me. And then for some odd reason, he sold it here about a year ago. Son of a gun. Well, it doesn't really matter anyways. It was a, Bolt action 495A Mossberg, and it's, it's designed as originally as a turkey gun back in the 60s, but it kicks so hard, it's, they stopped manufacturing 84. It doesn't really have much of any any value, it's like 50 bucks. It's like, it's uh, you know, like, and so I get it then. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so you now have you primarily been hunting mostly in the in Northwoods of Wisconsin, or do you actually get a chance to travel out and about? It's, it's basically like Langley County, Oneida County. Wisconsin. It, I used to think that was Northwoods, Wisconsin, until I ended up moving up in Bayfield County uh-huh. with work and stuff. I work in Superior all the time and driving back and forth. I got sick of that four-hour drive. But yeah, it's no farmland, nothing. It's strictly woods. Wow. Yeah, that is legitimately north of there. So then, since you with that, uh, do you hunt in in around Superior or closer to home? Closer to home, it did. Well, it was two years or no, four years ago, when I first finally started actually working in Superior, I found some public land about a half hour out of Superior, and that's where Brantley ended up shooting his first deer. Uh-huh. Was hunting that state forest and got some good spots over there. But now 
where I live in Bayfield County, it's endless amounts of public land that I get to go run around and chase stuff. That's pretty sweet, man, because you get to pull off some pretty major bucks there. Because now I, I, was, I watched your muzzler hunt in 2017. What was it? Big Balls is the name of the deer you shot? Big Nut. Big Nut. Big okay. Nut. Okay, so how – so that that was that shot on public land, right? Yep, that was Langley County. Man, that's pretty epic, though. So, like, uh, when you're when you're going after a big, mature buck like that in that thick of a forest, for those who not, don't know about northern Wisconsin, it's really dense forest. So hop on Google Maps and take a gander and get a chance to, to view and appreciate that, that that serene beauty up in that area. So when you're going for, like, a big – because that would came up with, what, 150 or 160? 160, and yeah. I ended up shooting him on his down year. The year before, I bet he was a boner. Oh, no kidding. Man, yeah. so when you're tra- when you're going after a big buck like that, how far do you have to typically get to get into to sc- come across big bucks like that? Up in up in that it area, all, it all depends. I mean, it and it depends on what kind of road you get to, or who lets you cut across their property to get into the public land. And mm-hmm. that it's from what I've learned, it's there's not always big bucks. Um, every chunk of land if you got to kind of gauge on what you have on trail camera inventory not every yeah. property is the same there's some that got different minerals in the ground different food and it, my biggest thing is just starting to notice tracks okay find a big track only one thing makes big tracks <laughs> that's a big deer yeah but yeah like it, it was what was it 2014, I got my first picture of him and trying to run around that, I think that was 5,000 acres of public there. Ooh, trying that's to, a lot of land. Trying to pinpoint where he was. Yeah. In the summertime, it was easy. I, I could figure out where he was in the summertime. But okay. as soon as I, around the last week of August, he'd vanish. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't find any pictures of him until like the rut, he'd show up every once in a while. Okay. But it was like, like clockwork that last Sunday of rifle season, I'd find him again back in that public land. And the only other shooting thing was is he'd drop his antlers by December 7th, December 8th, December 10th. Oh, wow. So there was no late season hunting. And it was, you had that short window and it just it never really happened. And I was always trying to save my vacation until like two we had that doe hunting the second week of December. So then I'd, mm-hmm. I'd have a week worth of vacation that week after. So hopefully he'd show up, but he was always dropping his antlers. So I was not pulled pin on that every year. Mm-hmm. But I ended up getting lucky because my brother talked me into going to Nebraska muzzleloader hunting. And I was like, well, it'd be fun, but I don't have muzzleloader. He's like, well, how about we get one? Found one in the bargain cave and ended up being a Thompson Center Pro Hunter. And for 700 bucks, you got a Thompson Center Pro Hunter with a loophole scope. Nice. So I didn't think it was a bad deal. No, so we bought them and then went out to Nebraska that year. And I screwed the pooch on a nice mule deer because I didn't quite understand how the scope worked. But okay, that's a whole different story. So in the following year, I took a couple of days off for muzzleloader season trying hopefully that he'd show up and he did that's pretty awesome man i, I saw when you in the video you were just jumping for joy you had your you had uh bentley out there yeah, brantley, right there. brantley brantley there we go and it was so i know it started losing with the b but uh that is a, a wonderful experience for him to get on out there I mean, all nice and bundled up and uh just jumping around all jumping for joy it's like it's it's a a fantastic experience because the like, ah, well my daughter was um Let's see here, four. Like I, I got my first buck and stuff like that, and she was all excited about it. Watched me take it all apart and such, breaking it down. It's, it's influential at a younger age, so that it's just getting them re-addicted again back in their after they get out of college. That's like that seems to be a t- a point in time for to get that back into their lives. Otherwise, they can, they may lose it for complete completely if they don't get back into it. That's what uh, happened to me. I went to college. 
spent uh, probably 12 years without going hunting and then got back into it. So it's, it's amazing what, what kind of environment you got to be around to get it back in. And then the biggest thing is come down to your, your parents. Like luckily you have two boys. So I think that's going to get ironed in at, at this young age, especially with uh, your success that you've had so far and that knowledge you've been developing and such. Now let's just talk about your big 12. I mean, that was just a monster. Yeah. Well, this year was kind of weird out hunting it. Every buck that I had on camera last year, couldn't find them at all, all summer. Okay. So I'm really struggling. And then Brantley, Dad, we're going to shoot a buck. And well, we got to find one first. Well, we ended up shooting a doe second week of season. Okay. And then now it got him out of my, from bugging me about, Dad, we're going to kill a deer. We're going to go kill a deer. Well, I got to find one. Well, that gave me some time. And then finally, middle of October, I finally got pictures of this 12. Okay. It, it, probably a week later, I finally realized that was one of the bucks that I had last year okay. on camera. And it was just the way he turned his head and then the whole light bulb went off. I was like, all right, I know which one that. And I kind of had an idea where a boat he was hanging around. So when I started hopping around clear cuts, edges of that, and little points coming off the hills, trying to mm -hmm. figure out where he was, and he vanished from there too. So I'm, frankly, is dead. Can I go hunting? Just relax a little bit. Now we're getting to the middle of October. No, okay. A couple of weeks, right? Like a week before Halloween. Well, then I had another buck that come through and. He was blind in one eye. I started calling him the kale buck. Okay. And it's like that'd be that'd be a cool one. He was probably 120, 125 inch eight pointer, but just had real mass. Mm -hmm. It's like that that'd be a good one to kill. Well, here we had a snowstorm that was supposed to come in for work, and we were supposed to work 12 hour shifts, and it was raining, and it didn't snow. Okay. I I should be in the stand. I text my boss. I'm like. You're getting in the way of my taxidermy bill. It, <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as I sent that, he come walking through where I had my cell camera. Okay. And I looked at my phone and I threw it up against the dash and I said, I, I could have been tagged out already. Is okay. Because I mean, the way he come in, it would, like the first pretend more the camera, he come in from right to left. Well, he's blind in his left eye. I mean, the, I don't know what. There's no way you could have screwed it up because he couldn't have seen you. Uh-huh. So you would come walking through that trail. So and I was all butthurt about that. And then I ended up going, my buddy asked me if I wanted to go to Nebraska for a couple of days because we had three days left. So I, yeah, I'm sick of Wisconsin right now. Okay. So I ended up running out to Nebraska for a long weekend. And that was a blast. I've never seen rubs like that muscles in Iowa. Okay. He ended up seeing a really big eight pointer. He said it thought it'd be 150 inch eight. And I was like, holy cow. Yeah. But it was 100 yards away and he couldn't get close enough. Okay. But that was probably the highlight of the trip, but it was just, I was in awe on the terrain. This was a big drainage as we were in the northeast part of Nebraska. And I'm, I'm used to hunting the sand hills, so it was a different type of terrain. So I was in learning mode more than hunting mode. So I was, covering acres trying to figure it out and yeah seen a few nice bucks but i ended up bumping up they knew i was coming before i got close ah i'm not very sneaky <laughs> that's one thing i gotta get better at is just getting sneaky on walking around you know i've seen uh i was listening to a podcast with i believe it was john dudley and he was talking about he went hunting with early season mules and Utah or Nebraska or Nevada. And one of the guys in his party was wearing wrestling shoes. Mm -hmm. So it's because it's slim, uh, low profile. You're able to kind of make content with the ground quicker. You don't have to worry about having to create so much, no, not so much mass. You just got to get used to walking on that rough train, but that's what they used. They were successful that trip. But then again, it's John Dudley. And these, anybody that uh, hunts like he does, you're going to be able to pay attention to how the map goes and learning and tr trials and tribulations and going from there, you know, he's been, he does, 
mid forties already, and maybe in, in mid fifty or I don't think he's fifty in his fifties yet, but he's got a wealth of knowledge, kind of like Randy Newbert and such. I mean, those guys are always fun to to watch and listen to. Now you got into hunt, uh, videoing your hunts. Like, what motivated you for that? Well, my buddy Corey is, was doing it, and he started filming with uh, Wisconsin Whitetail Pursuit. Okay, and watch some of his videos and stuff and it, it's, it's just something I wanted to do and I kept messaging him he's like well he's like if you ever really want to get serious and do it just let me know I'm like all right yeah and then the year went by and I didn't do it another year went by I didn't do it Tori has to be pretty cool he's like well here just go buy it I was like well I don't have the two grand to spend on equipment yeah it's like well start out small and just keep buying it well then I just, I finally said, screw it. I'm buying all the equipment because of this one hunt that I wish I could have filmed. Ended up shooting a 120 inch 10 pointer. And he sat by the tree 40 yards away and raked that for like five minutes. Okay. And that would have been the coolest in the world. Uh huh. I have video of that. And then he comes up walking right in front of me 30 yards away and I made the shot. And then usually every time I shoot something, it takes off running, but he shot. Didn't know he was hit, and then just kind of walked away and ended up falling down on the other side of the ridge. But nice. Just, that that was the hunt that I was like, I I got to start videoing. That's pretty epic, man. That's it, to have that motivation to do it. I I have not gotten into hunting, but it's like I, I do. I bounce a lot around, around on public land, so it's like it's a lot of equipment to take in with you and such. So since you do mostly primary public now, when you film do you bring Corey with you or do a lot of solo hunts all solo hunts because me and Corey are four hours away from each other oh okay i wasn't quite every, sure how close you guys were apart it's everything i carry in is on my back it's stand sticks camera arm tacticams gopro everything it's in a backpack and i think i weighed it it was like 80 pounds on my back Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just now when you shot your uh did you ever name your 12, your big 12? Splits. Splits? Yeah, because you had split G2s. Ah. So when you shot splits then, did you have to pack him and all that out? No, I I climbed down and ended up taking some stuff back and then come back to the house because it's like I knew I made a bad shot on him but I just didn't know how bad it was. So I just yeah. left everything and I wanted to get home because my dad was coming up for opening week in the rifle season. Okay. I wanted to get an idea of what was going on with the video. And then we drove back and got that. And I ended up taking a stand of sticks out that night. And then the next morning I went and got back on the blood trail and he was literally 20 yards away. Oh, from your stand? know from where we stopped I'll, I'll go back to i got kind of sidetracked when we we're talking about nebraska stuff but then it's all right so then i got kind of rejuvenated from the nebraska trip to come back and start hunting in wisconsin yeah so i got a six pointer i wanted wanted to get through he's got no brow tines he's if he had brow tines he'd probably be 125 yeah but He's just a dandy deer, but I wanted him to get through. And the whole time I was in Nebraska, I kept getting daylight pictures of him. Like, you better go hide. Somebody's going to shoot you. Uh-huh. I get started hollering at him. Well, then I got home. And then next thing I knew. Uh... The Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug-and-play type of scope housing where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now, when you sight in your 20-yard mark, you can really fine-tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel. 
getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100-yard capabilities with the yardage tape, and that's to the yard. A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring, which helps with peep alignment, as well as a built-in scope level, which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations, as well as a dovetail or tournament edition. Uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow. And the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. Two miles away, I had the I had splits on camera. Okay. What's going on here? He's two miles away. Well, I guess Rut's on, so wherever the hot doe is at, that's where he's going to be. So when I started concentrating a little bit closer to one area, and then I spread all my cameras out, and it was probably within probably a 300-acre area. Okay. And I had my cell cameras out and just regular trail cameras. And one day he was... And this corner of the section section of the land on the northeast corner of the other the next day he's on the southwest corner. It just he was everywhere. Okay. And I'm just trying, trying to pinpoint it. Well, my dad's like, I want to come up and go bow hunting. And this was November 7th. So All right. it was a south wind, and with me driving an hour and hour and 15, 20 minutes to work every day. I've been driving my wife's car and she's been driving my truck below. Truck needed the other tires put on it. I'm like, well, it's a southwest or a south wind. I got one stand. Dad, you go sit in that. And I don't know the other spots uh, if he for a south wind. If it was more southwest, he could sit there. Mm -hmm. Well, seven o'clock in the morning, I'm ripping tires off my truck, and my phone went off. I looked down. He's standing right in front of that camera on the house desk. Oh no, kid! You know, I I should have. I should have just pushed the issue and just tried it. Because okay. then I could at least at least then I could have at least seen them or something mm -hmm. or hope. But so then I come into the house, I tell Alexis, I said that's it. No more honey do list during the rut that I'm hunting. Okay. She's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I showed her a picture. She's like, Yep, see, I told you you should have went hunting. <laughs> she did she seriously tell you or your... mm -hmm. oh funny. Yeah. But yeah, she likes to give me shit all the time, and yeah. it was just—it's funny the way it all worked out. Because then, the day before I shot him, he was in that spot at two o'clock chasing a doe through there. Went through the camera. And I was like, "Bingo! I got to get out of work early. I got to get there. I got to sit there, and I don't care what's going to happen." Uh -huh. And then, so I'm sitting there, and here at two thirty, off in the distance, I seen it looked like a leaf flicker yeah that's that's that and then all of a sudden a doe just come barreling down that ridge i was like oh shit there he is so now i tried grabbing the bow i turned the camera on turned all this my arm looked like a spider monkey up there trying to turn all the cameras on i watched that you made you were bouncing all over the place ready to get everything and then you just <laughs> let out this big um yelp and it's like you just he stops and it looks and you release it's like that was oh, epic that was actually before that Oh, no kidding? When, when I knocked the quiver out of the tree, because I reached like this, because he was on my right coming down, and the doe stopped. She was like 10 yards away, but I knocked the quiver out of the tree, and that's why she froze, but the wind was blowing across. I thought she smelt me. Well, it's ah. here, after I took that shot, I looked through my quiver, and here it was laying down, so I was like, that's why she stopped. So then she ended up walking back up towards the ridge and that buck come through and pushed her up and then probably 45 minutes later just a single doe come walking out and i looked and then all of a sudden i seen there's another deer behind her and it was a little bigger and it was hard to kind of pick it out till he moved his head and then it was like the bush moved it was like bingo so uh -huh. that's when i 
turning on all the cameras. And then he sat there for 10, 15 minutes. I was like, come on. <laughs> then he takes a step out. And now I'm trying to get my loop on my, from my release onto my loop. I couldn't get that. I finally get that. He starts trotting. And then I use my elbow to nudge the camera. And I thought I spun it far enough. Then I tried stopping him on the frame and it didn't. And that's when I let out that big grunt and my Tacticam was, I got a 4.0 and I love that thing to death, but it just sucks because it, it'll play for 10 minutes straight and then it hits like 9.58. There's a five second reset. Okay. And that's when I, that's when I shot was during that reset. But, oh man. So that, that's when I was pissed on like on the video. I'm talking to Corey. I was like, oh, I missed that. And I was pissed. So then he's like, well, check the cat camera and the camera didn't show it. So that whole night, I didn't think I'd had any of the footage of me shooting him. So I got up the next morning, locked out, did my little rant about the tacticams. And well, here on the 5.0s, they don't do that no more. So if anybody oh. wants to play tacticam, get the 5.0s. <laughs> That's that's just, that's wise because like I'm, I've been looking at because like being here in lacrosse, I have so much opportunity to go fishing, you know. And it's like we got um, Lake on Alaska's got so many people out there fishing. Like you see Friday Friday at sunrise, the lake's just starting to fill up with people, and it's like I want to get a nice tactic cam, something like do something over the over either center mount or something on the side of the head. So this way, then it's like you, I, you can watch me reel in the fish because I have a couple of honey holes that I'm pulling up. 35 40 inch pikes and and seven or 20 22 inch bass and uh perch and bluegills and stuff especially when the water's high in the spring but uh, that's that's good that's good food for knowledge right there because even though they're grand they're what 500 bucks or something like that or they drop probably drop by now i think they dropped i think they might be 350 400 it's still not a bad but price though for a good quality because that heat um uh he lives um, Stern, Benjamin Stone. Stern just lives over in Caledonia. I see him every Tuesdays and Thursdays when he come and donates plasma. So I'm, I'm, always, I'm always busy doing my own thing, so I don't have a chance to talk to him. But uh, yeah, it's like he's he's uh, he's out and about in the in the in the community. But it's like everything's American made, and it's like that new uh, tactic cam they created for a trail camera that has yep, been revolutionary. Yep, yeah, I got that, and I actually ended up getting. Right before I shot him, he's in the picture and I'm in the tree. Okay. You can see me up there in the tree. That's actually a pretty cool picture. There's not very many people that get that on get that on camera. You're stood there, drew, draw back, and the deer are going to shoot on the same picture. That's awesome. Now, uh, with the trail camera, does that work? Does the, the cell reception, the, the connectivity up north work out pretty well? Yeah, you just got to kind of see what you have. If AT and T's better up here, which yeah, AT and T's up better up here for the cell service. So you just kind of go by that. You don't have to have a AT and T cell phone to have a Verizon trail camera. It's mm -hmm. just it's whatever wherever your hunting area is better. Well, wherever your service is better in your hunting area, you go with that trail camera. Makes sense because I use uh, Verizon Spy Point. It's treated me pretty well. It's just downside it caps you at a hundred uh, for free if you're, if you're not paying for it. Caps you at a hundred photos. But I've always I'm always like I have six cameras, seven cameras. I'm scared to leave them on a public land. So what do you do to, with your trail cameras online out there to, to avoid sticky fingers? I uh, you know everybody knows that high school janitor. It's got a million keys. Yeah, on a computer. That's me. I got it paddle locked they got a python locked and half of them got bear safes on them which makes sense now on your, have you encounter any big game out there any bears or wolves when you go hunting back out there up in those backwoods i've I seen two bears since i've lived here for three years i've seen two bears so far it, but the bear hunters up here got them usually running around everywhere so it's kind of nice so they're pretty scared and skittish Mm -hmm. I haven't ran into any wolves yet, but I've seen the tracks, mm -hmm. and it, uh, it kind of seems like if you're around civilization, the wolves aren't. 
we're at the 2020 ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year around as much yeah but if you start get you get mile two miles away that's where you start seeing more of the wolf activity. And it, it was funny, too, because, like, back where Langley County, I didn't have very many wolves. We had wolves there, but it wasn't, like, Bayfield and Douglas County. The wolves weren't as bad. Mm -hmm. Back home as they are up here. Well, I found this beautiful scra or scrape line here, so I was telling a guy about it. He's like, I don't think that's a scrape line. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, that's probably the wolves' territory edge, and here that's what it was. No kidding. Yeah, it was probably half a mile long, and it was like every hundred yards there's a scrape. And I was like, "That's not right here. This is where I got to set up." And he's like, "Yeah, you don't want to be in that area." <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to be there with the deer, deer mill rings and such like that. But the thing is, we don't really hear a whole lot of wolf attacks. But then again, it's like I wouldn't be out there without a sidearm. Yep. I'm sure you probably carry one. I should, but I tend not to because I got enough crap to carry <laughs> i completely understand that i you know it's like you've got 80 pounds of camera gear from there so uh when you're when you're setting up your your tree stand and stuff like that like what is the ideal amount of angles you want to get when you start going into for b footage and then moving into into production uh, whatever you can get that i mean that I'm starting to learn more and more that I always pick the wrong spots to sit because okay. it's like I'd like to be in the open areas to where you can actually see and shoot. Okay. But the hunter Johnny knows in the back of his head, the back of my head that I got to be 20 yards back in that thick stuff behind me. Yeah. And that's usually what my problem is: is something will walk by me where I should be, and I'm out because I'm trying. I want to have a good ethical shot. I want to have good footage. Well. I got to get back into that habit of getting into the thick stuff and you got one lane to shoot through and you got to be ready. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, most, most, most shots you get, you only get 10, 15 seconds of a, of a preview of them. It's like, I've seen a deer off in the air. Like when I shot my buck a couple of years ago, it's like he was 80 yards out and I managed to grunt him all the way in it. But if I wasn't paying attention, I would have completely would have missed him. He's so far mm -hmm. away. So yeah. Usually playing around with the camera too. I'm trying to get B-roll and just show it. I want to show everybody my experiences. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to make any money off of it. I just I'm I'm enjoying it. Trying to play video camera guy while I'm hunting. If I shoot something, it's a bonus. But it just me trying to show everybody what the outdoors has to offer and it, birds, squirrels, grouse. Yeah, it's that's half the fun right there and trying to get everything to focus in and Corey does a great job of editing everything and make it all flow nice. And yeah. I try my best when I send them all the video content to kind of place it all in order. So it's a lot less hectic when he gets it instead of just like crumple up mess and him yeah. try to. I can understand completely because you want to have that stuff laid out. Cause like if you give him like a wad of paper, now he's got to unfold everything to figure out where all fits, but it's all it's like uh, uh what the nice thing was developing everything in files is a, is a lifesaver. Now, are you going to get into editing here soon? I want to, and I 
well, I'm having a kid in July, so I got to put another bedroom downstairs, put a bathroom, and I want to build my office downstairs and just kind of get into that and play around with it and help Corey out. Because, I mean, he, yeah, he's got two kids and a wife, and he always, I don't want to be a burden on him, always sending stuff to him. To, yeah. Well, congratulations on the on the on the on baby to be. The nice thing is with the, the for how big the hunting community is, you can probably ask somebody out there like, what do you recommend for hardware? Because I know with because I used to do make video games back in the day, back in the early two thousands and such, and you needed a, a, a nice huge hard drive, and on top of it, you're gonna want some uh, good RAM and, and a good video card to go through everything. That's usually where it's, it's all about the buffer time to how long, how fast it takes you to render. So you, that's an easy question to answer. The biggest thing is like, I've learned with, with the podcasting, don't go cheap because otherwise you're, you're, you're paying more money than you would, than you would if you were to just buckle down and buy the nice stuff. Cause it's like, I had, I bought cheap mics, but then I had to go buy. And then I found out these the mics were garbage. So I had to buy better mics. And so you just want to say, it's like, Learn from us that, 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 that do this, like don't cheap out because otherwise you're going to hate yourself because now you just spent 75 to 100 bucks on some cheap stuff. Now you got to drop $300 where you could have to offset that cost. Yeah, just trying to, I mean, even if you just want to get into it, don't buy, let's say there's three levels, buy the mid grade, just if you don't know if that's correct for you or not, just don't cheap out and buy the cheap stuff because if you end up loving it well then you're going to be paying the cheap price and the top price if you get the mid-grade then there's always something that you can add on to it mm-hmm. I've, I've met some guys that like to do when they start getting into filming too pawn shops were a fun place to find uh middle of the road gear and it's like it had everything in the game and turned on so it's like it's a good start until they built up enough funds to be able to buy the next level going HD 4k, all that fun stuff. So I mean, that's, but that's, that takes years of experience. Cause it's like, you, do you really want to do this? It's like, you got to really analyze it's Like, is this taking away from my experience or is it adding to my experience? Cause there's a, I've heard different reviews on people when it comes out. Some absolutely love it like yourself and some will never do it again because it took, it spent more time analyzing and breaking everything down and rendering stuff than they spent out in the tree stand. Because they do, they do a hunt and spend a couple of days fixing everything up. Or life gets in the way when you have a wife and a couple of kids. It gets difficult. We would like to just take a second to help you make the final decision on your new Kydex holster. We the People offers all American-made holsters designed for everyday carry. Whether it's inside the waistband or outside, these holsters are made with quality and don't break your bank like other high-end holster companies. And plus, they offer free shipping on all orders in the USA. So go have a look, and while you're at it, check out what else they have to offer. Merch link in bio. B-roll, like, to get it, get because you, your Big 12 splits, how much B-roll did you have to do to get 30 minutes of, of content? Hmm. Well, just having the deer walk it around, that was great extra B-roll. I mean, otherwise, it, there's probably only 15 minutes of, b-roll with him mm-hmm. from the third third day of the hunt to me walking and finding him and then it being wisconsin's rifle season so i had to have blaze orange on yeah. and my buddy my buddy nathan from stillwater outdoors he does filming too and he ended up coming over and that's we did all the slow-mo shots with his camera because my camera don't do that and that's mm-hmm. something that i want to i want to get a DSLR camera because I just got a Sony handy camera right now. Mm-hmm. The DSLR is a little bit more stuff you can do with the camera itself compared to my handy cam. And my handy cam, I love it. It's a cheaper grade, but it still shoots in 4K and HD. Mm-hmm. But it's got autofocus where DSLR, you got to manually do it all. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I'm still working on my video skills so that I can work up to a DSLR. Mm-hmm. That's what I've, I, I've heard that a common thing to do. It's like, look at getting something on first is getting yourself a, uh, an autofocus this way, then you're, you're not, you spend more time focused on this. This way you build that experience moving forward. And so, so that, at least that would turn out to be pretty decent for B footage for all that aspect of that, to, to, to developing that content for it. 
Yeah, was, I mean, like when I was walking around, I just had a little GoPro in the morning. That's yeah. pretty much what I had there. And one of the toughest things to do is to do your celebration video by yourself because you don't have a cameraman there to hold the camera. You got to get the tripod, walk over there, flip the screen, try to make sure you're set up correctly, and then you walk yeah. back. That's a whole 20 minute process there, and everybody's giving me crap. Like, what are you out there doing with it? <laughs> it takes a minute. We on Friday, I have a run on their podcast, and we were, we were cutting commercials for uh, our sponsor, We the People Holsters. And it it was 20 minutes of setting up my buddy's uh, cell phone camera to get the position right and get the audio because we're doing everything all open mic. So it's like, okay, well, how, how much energy do we need to put in to get the, the audio to travel to it, but also make sure we all look good and in and, and a uniform pattern. Like, where do we need to set to create a nice balance of it? So this way you're not having too much focus on one or the other. It's like you're able to get and get engulf everybody with it. Now, batteries with your, like, with how cold it gets up north, and, like, what do you do to, to, to not have the batteries die so quickly? That cold sucks energy. Yeah, it's, lithium batteries are a lifesaver. Okay. But I, I always got an extra Tacticam battery charged in my pocket, uh, extra GoPro batteries charged in my pocket so that they stay warm, and an extra video camera battery in my pocket so it stays warm. I gotcha. Is there any way that, like, I don't, I, I understand, like, hot hands get quite warm. Would it be, would it be too much to put a hot hands on your phone, on your, on a device? Would it overheat the battery? Do it do more harm than good to maintain maintain uh, warmth in the battery? I don't know. I never really tried that. It usually when it gets cold, I throw my Iwan suit on, and it's usually yeah. nice. It's nice warm inside there in my pockets. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I, I my last guest I had. I, he did a, a backcountry elk hunt, and that was some of the things that he that he utilized to keep his batteries and stuff like that warm and charged. Because he was on a five day hunt out of a was there for five out of the eight day hunt and it was it was tough trying to maintain all of the batteries lives to with us so they don't die out the nice thing is having power banks and such to maintain a full capacity but just trying to keep them warm when he's in between shots of setting up for a shot for for uh either the kill shot or setting up for just around the camp everybody's bs and such so I'm still waiting on a picture because he, he shot himself uh we, well, he didn't shoot anything but he got he was telling me about an, a uh his recipe that he that he cooked for everybody that he got from one of his friends and he sent me the recipe for for elk heart and it's like I'm sure you could duplicate the same thing for uh, whitetail since they all kind of fall in the same family here. Ben, we talked we hit a lot of good points regarding some of the things that you went through in some of your trials. Do you have any um, tactics or anything you'd want to give the listener some advice on if they're looking just starting in? Well, for filming. Yeah, for filming, yeah. Uh, biggest thing is, is if you try self-filming, I know everybody that's in the mobile hunting world is pushing lighter, lighter, and lighter for yes. stands, sticks, saddles. But once you start self-filming, there is no being light. That There ain't no way around it. You're still going to have the weight of your camera gear, your camera arms, yes. everything else in the hall with you. That makes sense. And do you have any recommendations for like good, like, would you, rec do you have any recommendations for um, tripods or anything, any of those, those units do you see that they, you, well, you can screw them into the tree and you can use them. Do you have any recommendations that somebody that are I, I good, use quality, the, good quality? I use the carbon stiff arm from fourth arrow and I love it. And then they just came out with a new one this year. It's supposed to be a little bit lighter, but I want to try getting, but my mic, took the crap this year so i'm gonna have to buy a new mic yeah. that's not one on the to-do list but i've dealt with it this long using the stiff arms so i might as well keep using it that he you know he hasn't done you wrong because i saw like the hme yeah hme makes a few of them the tacticam makes a uh moultrie makes a few different arms too so it's like that's lists a big solid uh consistent product you can buy to you don't have to worry about um uh, faltering when you get it all set up in the tree. Yeah, the one nice thing is with the fourth arrow is the shoulder that mount or bracket that they got is a lot smaller. I know the not taken away from the guys that use muddy or not, but that's kind of a bigger, bulkier 
unit that straps to the tree. Mm -hmm. To me, it'd be a lot harder to pack in a note than just what Fourth Arrow has to offer, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's my opinion. It also comes down to how many people are going out there hunting with you. Like you said, you do a lot of solo, so you have to, you have, everything's on you. Then I know I talk to younger guys that will have two, two or three guys that are going out there helping them out because, like, you have two guys carrying stuff in, one guy hunting, all the, you know, and rotating as the weeks progress throughout the season, depending on what states are hitting. Yeah, I can't wait for Brantley to get older because then we can take turns. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be – because Brantley is eight, right? Yeah, he's eight. Yeah. He, he was filming my turkey hunt last year. Yeah. So that, that'll be coming out this spring right before Wisconsin's turkey season rolls out. The Corey will be putting all of our last year turkey hunts out on YouTube. So that would be uh -huh. pretty neat. That's awesome. Yeah, a little, little difficult for him. He had the shot he didn't get on camera, but that's all right. He still yeah. enjoyed his. He wanted to do it, so that was cool. I didn't have to ask, but, hey, do you want to do it? He's like, Dad, I want to film you. Okay. Like, so, cool. so now I sparked an interest in him. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's amazing what people can do with the the camera and such. It's just, it's definitely opens up doors for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Johnny, for being on the podcast. I mean, you dropped some great diamonds in there for people to follow up on. Do you have any means of ways to getting a hold of you? Facebook, Instagram. Uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> nice. What's your handle on Instagram? Crazy Jensen 21. 21. All right, 21. Excellent. Then, nice thing is, you'll I will put these in the show notes this way. You'll be able to do the follow and any post you see when I tag uh, Jer Johnny in it, you'll be able to find that information. So, thank you folks for tuning in for another episode of Bucks of America. I'm glad you guys did. Please go out, rate, and review the podcast. If you liked it, if you hated it, please provide uh, constructive criticism, and I'll let you guys go for the evening. <laughs>